The following program is brought to you in living color on NBC. The world is a carousel of color. Wonderful, wonderful color. I Saw in a Movie, an advice podcast co-hosted by your friendly cinematic pals at Movie John. I'm the old sport and classic coroner, Rosalie Kicks, and this is my film pal, The Red Herring. Ryan Silverstein. And each episode, we take a question from our listeners and go to the movies for the answer. So, Ryan, how is it going? Uh, it continues to go. It's... <laughs> Yes. Um, you know, it's uh, same old, same old. Just getting through it. Um, you know, taking taking one day at a time, like a like like because like, it's as far as in the future as I can really look most most days. Yeah, it's kind of funny because now that Sundance is over, I had that to like look forward to. And even though I didn't like travel or go anywhere, it was still like, ooh, I have this thing. And now mm-hmm. I just feel like I have nothing. So I'm kind of back on the, let's just take this one day at a time uh, mentality. Yeah, I need, I need to plan something uh, to look forward to. That's it's on, it's on my to-do list, but I haven't quite figured out when that should take place and what that should be. So Right. Yeah. Um, so what movies have you been watching lately? Is there one you want to share with everyone? Sure. So um, I'm very much looking forward to Godzilla versus King Kong that's coming out at the end of March. So I have been trying to watch all of the Kongs. Oh my gosh. That's a um, big feat, I feel. There's not that many, um, depending on how you count. So there's... Like the original, there's a 76 version. There's the Peter Jackson one from 2005. Those are like the main three versions of the original story. Okay. There's Kong Skull Island, which is part of this Godzilla Kong monster verse from a couple years ago. Uh, And then it depends on if you count Mighty Joe Young as a Kong or not. I don't think that counts. Well, the original Mighty Joe Young was made by the same people who made the original King Kong just a few years later. And it is a similar story about basically a gorilla falls in love with a woman. Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eventually watch those two. But the one I wanted to talk about today was a movie I'd never heard of before I started going down this ape path, uh, mm-hmm. which is Son of Kong, the sequel to the original King Kong. So like a son of Dracula, but a son of Kong. Exactly. All right. Um, so Robert Armstrong reprises his role as Carl Denham. 
I think he's the only cast member that's back. But basically, they go back to Skull Island to try to get another Kong. Oh, wow. Um, now, this movie is not terribly good, I will say, up front. But what I like about it is that Carl Denham, he's being sued by so many people, including the city of New York, for all of the damage that Kong caused in the original film. So he's he's more desperate. He's more introspective he's a little funnier like the way what they do with his character i think is it makes this movie worth watching also the fact that it's only 70 minutes long so it's a really easy okay like you know pop it on whatever a a good chunk it's it's one of those where like even though you would think the exciting part would be them on the island and you know seeing all these other creatures that they didn't see the first time would be the interesting part but it's actually the stuff that is the fallout from the first movie that I think is actually really interesting. Yeah, I well, one, you had me at the seventy some minutes. You know, mm-hmm. I, I no love... seventy like oh, it's an hour and ten me. minutes. Seventy <laughs> minutes. I I like a film that gets in, gets out, it's done. You know, mm-hmm. and no time wasted. But I'm really kind of digging this whole legality like storyline, mm-hmm. like being sued because of what Kong did, you know, because I'm always interested in like legal matters. And it's kind of an insurance movie on, on, on the low end, you know? Well, that's exciting too, you know? Like what, yeah, why don't they just get insurance to cover the damage? They probably didn't have like Kong insurance. Right, because- There's always you loopholes, know, loopholes, yeah arise in insurance it's like oh well, sorry you didn't have that the, the, wind protection you know the right. wind was only allowed to be 100 miles an hour but this was 101 right you didn't have the you were covered for an up to 30 foot ape but Kong right. was 45 feet and so therefore this policy does not apply right there's always loopholes and things you have to work with in insurance. So I understand this and I I like this. I I think I will watch this. I'll be honest, you know, Kong Skull Island, it didn't do it for me. That movie is not great. There's some fun, like I really like John C. Riley in it. Like there's things in it I like, but it overall it's, it's kind of a mess. Like he's in it, but I don't think he's taking any moment seriously. But that's what's good about it. <laughs> like that's sure. that's that's sure. like he lightens that movie up, and that movie needs to be a lot lighter. Yeah, I, I mean, I know a lot of people are looking forward to this showdown, the Godzilla, the Kong. We'll see, we'll see. You know, I'm still making my way through the Godzillas. I bought the Criterion set, mm-hmm. and I watched the original Godzilla. Loved it, absolutely. Hands down, mm-hmm. great film. So I'm looking forward as I go through the set, you know, but I don't know, like they just don't get these monster movies right in this present day. You know, I feel like, I don't know if it's they try to take it too seriously. Like you said, the movie should be a bit more fun. Well, I, I will say, yeah, I'll say that Criterion set made me really appreciate the most recent Godzilla, King of King of Monsters. Oh, um, okay. 
because it is very much evoking that style of movie of like not being serious. There's a bunch of, you know, wacky made up science that they keep throwing around. Um, like, and there's like organizations that like specifically exist just to deal with these giant creatures and there's hierarchies right. and like all kinds of nonsense. And the amount of nonsense in that movie feels like three of those old movies stitched together. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could see that, you know, and you're right. It's like having fun with the material. I, I just mm-hmm. really don't like when it gets so, in the words of Joker, serious. Like, I don't <laughs> like that. Like, these movies, when you go see them, especially in the theater setting, you should be having a fun time. Noshing on some popcorn. Like, I don't, and that's why I go to see something like that. I want to escape. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so. Jill and I saw that that most recent one uh, in IMAX, and it was one of the most fun times I've had at the movies, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, but I, going but to the real quick, I do, I do have to tell you about the other, the Kong movie that I need to, to track down, and it might take me to the less uh, legal parts of the internet high seas to find a copy because it's apparently not widely available. And right. it's King Kong Lives, which is the 10 years later sequel to the 1976 King Kong. Mm-hmm. So it stars Linda Hamilton. So already I'm like, interesting. Um, so this is after Kong supposedly so at the end of the 1976 movie which is a remake but they use the twin towers instead of the empire state building so after kong falls off he's not dead he is in a coma and they have put him in some sort of cryostasis um then he has heart problems so one of the scientists invents an artificial heart to give kong a transplant Oh my god. Yes, this sounds amazing. Okay. It keeps getting better. There's two more there's like one more line here that's like in order to do the transplant, they have to capture a female giant ape to do to like to use as like blood transfusion material for Kong. And so yeah. when Kong wakes up, the two of them just go to town. Yeah, I will definitely help your mission of tracking this down. <laughs> like, this sounds like something I would, I need to watch, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and again, this movie is only apparently, per letterbox, 105 minutes. Also, great selling point. Yeah. Um, so, Son of Kong is widely available. Both that, both that the original king kong the 76 king kong they're all on hbo max so they're pretty easy to find right now okay that's good to know uh so do you want to hear my pick of course all right so this is actually a rewatch for me uh but the 1947 claude rains picture the unsuspected And I thought it would be fitting to bring it up on this program as it centers around a radio show host that commits murder. And I always love watching movies that feature radio hosts. I think it's fun. But Claude 
Yeah. So Claude Rains plays the host of a radio mystery show entitled The Unsuspected. And when his niece returns from a trip at sea, she finds that unbeknownst to her, she is married. And meanwhile, though, the entire family was kind of hoping that she was just dead because they wanted to inherit her money because she was an orphan. So, you know, chaos ensues, obviously. But Mm -hmm. I want to talk about, I first found out about this movie from one of my favorite film pals, Ashley Jane. And she is also a writer on Movie John and also my fellow classic coroner. And she often appears on the segment of Cinematic Crypt called Trip to the Morgue. But we write a column over at moviejohn.com called Classic Corners, and we dissect films essentially of dead people uh, from the bygone Hollywood era. But the reason we revisited this particular movie is that we are actually going to be autopsying Claude Rains, who I absolutely love. I love Claude. And I'm guessing that you are also a fan. I mean, I I don't know how many times I've seen Claude Rains outside of The Invisible Man, but I very much enjoy his performance in that film. Um, yeah. He's, and it, what's a shame is he actually, like, has a really nice face. <laughs> like, and him playing an invisible character is almost a waste. But his voice is perfect to play a radio host. Yes. And his voice is very soothing. Right. Mm -hmm. The other thing we noticed in watching, which we're going to cover in the column, is that he always plays these characters. They're like doing sinister things, but he's extremely calm. Like he's Mm -hmm. not worried. Like even if the plan doesn't go according to how he originally thought, he's still he's calm. He's cool as a cucumber. And I just love (laughs) cool thought. Yes. I loved watching him in this role uh, because the other thing that's kind of fun too is he utilizes a lot of this like sophisticated radio equipment, uh, which is part of his plot, like in his murder schemes. So the movie's just aces. I highly recommend checking it out. Unfortunately, I do think you would have to buy a physical copy because. It was put out by uh, oh, Warner Media, which I don't know if you have any of their DVDs, but they kind of stink overall. Like, they have a lot of great films in their catalog, but the way they put out their movies, it's just not that exciting. It tends to be like, oh, a menu, and you click play. Like, there's no bonus features. Like, you don't even have, like, the trailer on there. Uh, but overall, like the movie quality looks great. You know, it's just that they don't really put any effort into the bonus or the features. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, like Warner archive. Yes. Thank you. Warner archive. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those where I'm glad I've gone from like, I'm just glad those movies are getting released on a physical format. Right. Exactly. Because this is where we're at now. (laughs) Yeah, which it's like I'm not pleased with the actual release of it, but I'm happy that it's available because otherwise 
I would not be able to watch this movie unless it just like randomly showed up on TCM or something like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, I wish that they would bring a lot of these to either Criterion or HBO Max because they're in the Warner Library. So Mm -hmm. I hope that eventually more of that stuff makes its way over. Um, Yeah. Because that would make it well worth it. I don't know. I mean, obviously, you can purchase directly from Warner Archive online, and occasionally they do sales where it's like you can grab like four movies for like 44 bucks or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but I actually ended up purchasing this from oldies.com, which I don't know if you know, but that is a local company here in the Philly area. Well, yeah, I have actually ordered from oldies.com before. I don't know if they're still there, but their warehouse for a while was right off of the um, the, the Blue Route, as we call it, uh, 476. Yes. Um, it's there. And it's, it's on my way to work. So uh, uh, okay. I, I see oldies.com frequently in my life. <laughs> yeah, so that's where I purchased this from because it actually ended up they were having a sale, you know, so I picked it up with a couple other warner archive dvds but uh i highly recommend checking it out it's a lot of fun uh but yeah so how about should we get to the question should we get to the question yep let's uh let's let's open the mailbag all right dear i saw in a movie how is february the shortest month yet the longest living on the east coast this time of year always gets me down I want to have a more colorful outlook. Can you provide a movie that fits this bill? Sincerely, Technicolor Dreamcoat. Well, my friend, this question could not have come at a more perfect time as we are literally in the midst of publishing our next quarterly print movie zine, which focuses on color. And I don't know about you, Ryan, but I was excited to see this question come through. Yeah, I'm, I love talking about color in movies. Uh, I've spent some recent time researching Technicolor uh, for a project that I've been working on. And I just think that as much as, uh, like, you know, non-film friends of mine especially will always tease me about, like, oh, well, you know, if this movie wasn't black and white, you probably would have liked it more. <laughs> Um, I do also enjoy color films very much. And I think I especially enjoy movies that use color a lot. Um, but the first two films I thought for this question, uh, I thought about for this question that I wanted to talk about didn't, would not help the listener at all because, uh, one of them, The Shining has Mm -hmm. a great color palette, but is, I mean, I rewatched it recently. Uh, I got the 4k disc and it looks amazing. Um, I found it rather cozy, especially after your lockdown. I was like, you know what? It would be fun to be living in a, a big haunted hotel right now. Um, and uh, But that's not really going to make anyone feel better, especially because the end is very you know, bleak and dark and cold. Uh, and similarly, uh, The Umbrellas of Sherberg, which has amazing uses of color throughout, is also a sad movie overall. Um, so... I enjoy all uses of color, but it took me a little bit to think of a movie where the brightness of the screen matched the overall feeling I got from watching the movie. 
Yeah, I, I could say that I had a similar, you know, kind of reaction to the question. There's just so many movies for me that come to mind. However, I did end up deciding to share one that I actually just recently watched, and that is Blythe Spirit. And this story was originally written by Noel Coward as a play in 1941, and then it was then adapted numerous times um, into film, television, and even radio plays. And for today's show, though, I will be focusing on the most recent adaptation, which is the 2020 version. And it was directed by Edward Hall, whom prior to this, I, I'll be honest, I haven't watched much of his other work because it's mostly in TV. But when I was looking through his filmography, I guess he is most notably known for Downton Abbey, which I hope I said that right. Uh, you did one, you did say that right. And two, okay, uh, I find that show delightful and actually like pretty solidly directed overall. Like it's not usually flashy, but they do a good job of like, I feel like the blocking in that show is actually really well done. Okay. Yeah. I know my mom really enjoys that show. You know, I've never checked it out, but I've heard, you know, the production design and just the overall stories people really quite enjoy. Uh, but with his, you know, version of Blythe Spirit, I have to report, it was so fun to watch, and it was a nice place to escape to, and, you know, I'm always probably going to prefer the 1945 version directed by David Lean, because Rex Harrison, like, you can't go wrong with Rex, uh, and I absolutely... Just love Kay Hannon as Elvira and Margaret Rutherford as Madame Arcadi. But Hall's version is not bad. Uh, there are some slight differences to the story, but in this case, it really worked for me. So I'll just give like a brief synopsis, but I'm going to keep away from spoilers because it is a movie that's coming out. Actually, probably when this airs, it will come out sometime during the week. Uh, but mm -hmm. Blythe Spirit tells the tale of a married couple, Charles and Ruth. Charles is a crime fiction novelist that is attempting to make the jump to script writing. And it's all set in like 1930s England. And after he's being given an opportunity from Ruth's father to write this script because the father is like this big wig Hollywood producer which is really fun too because you get to see all of like this 1930s Hollywood that's going on mm -hmm. uh, but we learned that Charles was married previously to a woman named Elvira and that he recently you know had remarried after her unfortunate death so one night, Charles and Ruth go to see a spiritualist perform Madame Arcadi, which is played by Dame Judi Dench. And the show goes dreadfully wrong. Like, the whole thing is just bad. And essentially, Madame Arcadi is being questioned, you know, if she's a charlatan, like, is she even real? And so... Anyways, Charles, like, during watching all of this chaos, comes up with this, like, this is my script idea. I'm going to write about 
this spiritualist and seances. So he decides to invite her to the house to perform a seance. And while there, she ends up summoning his dead wife, Elvira. And when Elvira arrives, she is not pleased with the situation. Obviously, husband remarried. She doesn't like any of the decor or the changes to the house, things like that. But there's just like a lot of fun comedic moments throughout. But the reason, you know, I'm suggesting this to our listener is the use of color in this movie is just very astonishing to me. Like watching it, I was surprised like, wow, this is a 2020 movie because there's so much dedication to the production design and the use of color that you just don't really see I feel unless you're watching like one of those like, you know, inflated budget, like Hollywood production period films, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you just don't get, I feel to see a lot of that. But in this, like with the story being set in 1937, you have a lot of interesting like art deco designs and the costumes are really cool too. I, and I quite enjoyed the cast. I, when I was doing a little research, I didn't realize. So the guy that plays Charles, the husband, mm-hmm. is Dan Stevens. And apparently he was in the movie The Guest, which I know a lot of our like movie John pals like that movie. I have never seen it. Uh, I haven't seen The Guest either, uh, but I am a big fan of Dan Stevens. He was on Downton Abbey. Uh, okay. So he's he's worked with the director before, and uh, he's he's just really great. He's in that movie Colossal. Um, oh yes, he, I've been meaning to watch that. Uh, that's a movie I really like. Um, you know, I feel like he's yet to have a breakout role other than the guest in film, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was also in uh, what's the name of that uh, Legion. Which was okay. like an X Men spinoff TV show from the guy who did the Fargo TV show. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So he was he was really entertaining in this in this role because there are a lot of comedic moments, and then the wives are played by Isla Fisher and Leslie Mann plays Elvira, and I quite enjoyed them, especially because I liked they were essentially two different types of women. And so seeing them play off one another was entertaining. And Mm -hmm. I absolutely loved all of Leslie Mann's wardrobe. Again, so colorful and like a lot of 1930s flair. And again, like I was just surprised, like you just don't see that in a lot of these like smaller, I guess, budgeted films, Uh, but it was just fantastic. And then, as I mentioned, you do have Judy Dench uh, as well, playing Madame Arcardi. And the performance is acceptable, but I much prefer the kookiness of Margaret Rutherford. And I think you have seen the original Blight Spirit film. Uh, yes, I have. And I really, really enjoyed, uh, enjoyed it. It made me laugh out loud several times when I watched it. Um, and I think... I think this is well suited to remakes in general because there are so many different like 
directions and tones you can kind of take with it a little bit. Um, right. And I think it also, you know, to the budget that you're talking about, I feel like it, the original, most of it takes place in the house. So it's like a single location that they can really, you know, use all their budget on the house. Um, yeah, this one does go away from the house a few times, but the majority of it is taking place at the home. And everything in the home is just so vivid. Like every room is a different color and it's just very bright, which again, I just liked looking at the film and like being in this space. And with a runtime, it's only 95 minutes, you know, so you're not like having to invest a ton of time. And we watched it on a Monday after work and it was like the perfect thing. It was like, nope, I don't need to really think a lot about what I'm watching. I can just like put it on and escape in it. And that I always think is nice, especially after a hard work day. Um, but the other reason I really did want to bring it up too, is that I noticed when I was logging it into Letterboxd, I guess at some point, probably because it's based in England, it had come out previously. And there were just like a lot of reviews that were panning it. And I mean, yes, I do enjoy the David Lean take. And a lot of people were referencing like, why even bother? But I do think this one does have some meaning. I mean, it's not like a masterpiece of cinema, but it's also just like a fun time at the movies and the little differences that they did make in the script, like, because I don't recall in the original him writing a screenplay, for example. It's fun, you know, because you get to see kind of a glimpse of this 1930s, like, Hollywood studio thing that's happening. And I always find that to be a fun time. Uh, my only real complaint about it is probably that when Elvira comes back to life, I loved in the original, like, she had that, like, seafoam, like, green tint to her, mm -hmm. you know, and you probably remember that. In this one, they just have her like she's normal looking. Um, but they didn't get like crazy doing any sort of special effects, which is cool. Like I was kind of worried about that going in. Like you'd see a lot of CGI stuff going on. Whereas in the original, it relied more on like camera trickery. But right, they didn't go there. there. Exactly. Yeah. And in this one, they kept it very simple, you know. Uh, but yeah, I, I think... You know, you should definitely check this out. It, it's worth a watch. It, and again, it's not something that I feel you're going to be like, oh, blown away by. But you're not going to be mad that you watched it. Well, I'm going to say it gets an automatic two stars for me, not just because it has Dan Stevens, who I enjoy, but also because this means that we won't get a Tim Burton remake of Bly Spirit anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. Why was he like in talks of doing it? No, I just feel like it's the kind of thing where, like, he would be like, oh, like, because it feels like the kind of movie that he would love the original and want to yeah. remake it, but he can't help but be Tim Burton, and right. it would be, like, two hours and ten minutes long, you know, um, uh, the main character would end up fighting some sort of dragon worm, <laughs> like... Yeah. yeah, and, like, the dead wife would look, like, absolutely disgusting. Right. Um, I do would also kind of count that Death Becomes Her uh, is almost like a stealth, like, 
White Spirit riff. Sure. Yeah, um, I could see that. Which is also a fun movie. Mm-hmm. So what did you end up settling on as your pick then? Sure. Uh, yeah, so so as I thought about it for a while, um, I use this as an opportunity to revisit a movie that um, bored me out of my mind when I was a kid. And for a while, I was at a point where I was like, okay, I appreciate what this is trying to do, but I don't know that it works for me. And now, especially on this last watch, I think I've, I think I've just seen enough other movies and appreciate different aspects of film to where now uh, I just really loved watching Fantasia from 1940. Okay. Um, yeah. Wow. Um, That's a good so pick. It, yeah. And, you know, it's a Disney animated film, but I think one of the things I like about it is that it's in seven segments. So even though, you know, as a kid, it felt very long. Um, I, you know, the whole program is, 126 minutes which is long for an animated film uh but you could always watch this in segments because basically they're they all act like extended shorts um and each one has a different piece of music and then the animation is done to that and what i really like about it is you know disney kind of broke up his animators into teams and like they all got to pick a piece of music and then they all got to sort of um, you know, come up with a theme for that music. So some, you know, there's a whole sequence that's based on, you know, dinosaurs and showing like early life on earth. There's one that's like more about Greek mythology. There's of course, you know, Mickey as the sorcerer's apprentice. Um, you know, the last sequence is the night on bald mountain where you have uh, Chernabog, the demon summons evil spirits from their grave and they're all dancing and everything. And, uh, you know, but consistently throughout, the animation is just amazing to look at. And, you know, it's one of those, it's early enough in animation history where there were no shortcuts. Like, this is all done by hand. Everything that you see on screen, like, there's no computers. There's, you know, everything is manual and hand-drawn. And the colors that are applied are just amazing. And, you know, the way that all of the imagery syncs up to music. Um, so in the... Right of Spring, which is the dinosaur sequence, there's a shot of volcanoes, and like as the mu as the beats of music are hitting, like different volcanoes are erupting, like in time with the music, um, and it's just really, um, you know, it, it's it's something that like it focused on sound. Like when they released it originally, um, they came up with this thing called uh, Fantasma Sound. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, <laughs> where they would like go and like like a roadshow production they would install it in your local theater to give like extra speakers which would basically it's like almost like an early version of like surround sound um to make sure that you could hear the orchestra which again is a local connection because it's the philadelphia orchestra that appears in the film and provides the soundtrack oh i um, didn't know that that's really cool yeah. um so it's it's a really interesting project it's probably the most you know experimental uh, feature film, at least, that Disney ever made. Um, you know, Walt was obviously directly involved in a lot of it, but I really just like the variety. Like, there's everything in here from just, like, abstract, like, splotches of color or, like, raindrops hitting water or flowers dancing to, like, you know, full-on, you know, centaurs and character animation. So it really kind of, I think, is a really good showcase for what animation can do and and the color is just incredible like i really think the disney films of the 1940s like especially um 
you know, this and Pinocchio were two and three uh, that they had ever made. And mm -hmm. I think they really hit their stride with just the way that they're able to make the color look on screen. It's just amazing. And, um, you know, I have the Blu-ray, but uh, it is on Disney Plus. So it's also really easy to go in and just like watch, a, like I said, watch a segment of it and come back later, watch another one or, you know, um, kind of flip around a little bit. It's it's the kind of movie that's just really nice and relaxing to watch. And so like I find it, you know, it it's a movie I can put on and sort of let my mind wander and kind of relax and chill out with. Yeah, and I like that you brought up about the hand-drawn animation because when it comes in terms of Disney, I have to say and admit that I do like a lot of that older, you know, feature cartoons that they did mm -hmm. actually one of my favorites is probably sleeping beauty i actually was terrified of the film as a child but have grown to appreciate it as an adult because i i just love all the color in that film uh yeah sleeping yeah. beauty is may, might be my absolute favorite and especially in terms of design uh the art style in that one is incredible it was done on 70 millimeter oh wow okay uh so someday hopefully in the future i would love to see a 70 millimeter print um you know in a, in a very large theater and really be able to get the whole scope of that movie but that that is probably like i said for style and color that's probably my favorite um you know but i wanted to pick fantasia because i feel like people forget about it a lot yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I kind of forgot about it myself. And I think, you know, as a child, like you mentioned about the length, it was something that when I would see the VHS tape, I'd be like, eh, I'm not putting that in. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> because... I watched it once as a kid. We got it as like a gift from my grandparents who love classical music very much. And I just think it was like, no. But I, I think it's one that especially... Uh, as an adult, it's worth going back to because, you know, if you signed up for Disney Plus for The Mandalorian and your Marvel shows and stuff, I think this is worth seeking out because there's more to appreciate. You know, I think I just enjoy and can really see the craftsmanship more than I ever would have uh, as a child. And uh, I also wanted to ask you, Rosalie, how you feel about mini golf. Mini golf as in miniature golf? Mm-hmm. Love it. So in Disney World in Florida, mm -hmm. they have a miniature golf area that is themed to Fantasia. Oh. Uh, and there are, there's two like sets of holes you can play. So the one set is like a true miniature golf course where it is set up like, you know, you have long greens and like it is a, a real golf course style in small, done small. Uh, but then the other side is the more fanciful, like what you would normally think of with miniature golf, where there's, you know, rotating hippos. There are holes where you like put the ball up a ramp and the ball will fall downstairs. And if you do it right, it'll play, you know, like a little bit of music. Okay. Uh, highly recommend it if you are ever in Florida. It's on its own. So like even if you weren't going to the theme park, you can just go to that mini golf and play it. And um you know, I think it. I just think it's it's cool that like of all the things that they chose to do. You know, they could have just made it all like, you know, every hole is like Mickey and Donald and Goofy and stuff. But right. they're like, no, Fantasia. That like this is going to be a music themed 
miniature golf course. Yeah, well, and it's funny you say about miniature golf because it's one of the few things that I I get competitive about. <laughs> I get very in the zone with mini golf. And I like that, you know, if you go to like an actual miniature golf place, there tends to be like an ice cream stand at mm-hmm. the end. And I love ice cream. So uh, uh, miniature golf is one of my favorite things to do on a vacation. There's also one it's in Temple, Pennsylvania. Um, and they have mm-hmm. a, I think they have like 36 holes you can play. Wow. Um, and it's a, yeah, it's a very well done course. Uh, and there is an amazing, like their ice cream is legitimately fantastic. Um, yeah. I'll be honest. Like, you know, ice cream, I will try pretty much any place, you know, obviously some are better than others, but when I go to the mini golf place, I do like just getting the old soft serve. I like that, but I'm not going to turn down like a handmade ice cream. Right. Um, yeah. So the place is called shells, miniature golf. Shells. Uh, Okay. S S C H E L L. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, you can also get your chicken fingers and your French fries and things, but I believe they're mostly soft serve and they do their own, like, you know, like Dairy Queen style stuff. Okay. Yeah. But, but I do love mini golf. Uh, so I'm glad that you brought that up because I didn't even know, I haven't been to Disney in probably, well, wow, since I was like in high school. So many, many moons ago, but I've been itching to go back actually because it just it's just a fun place i i i really enjoy magic kingdom and epcot in particular and that's kind of what i want to go back for it's same it's it's um i I enjoy like i said i enjoy miniature golf but uh disney is one of the places that i feel like is so immersive that you actually you know do forget about there being an outside world yeah, that's also kind of the creepy aspect, right? I well, mean, yeah, but... They, like, want to suck you into this, <laughs> to their world. Uh, I will say Ben and I, years ago now, at this point, went to Disneyland in California with one of my friends, uh, Rachel, uh, who actually, she edited our film, Pizza Man. Mm. But uh, she you know, was like, hey, let's go to Disneyland, because, like, when we were visiting, it was very cheap. It was, like, buy one, get one free. Mm -hmm. So Ben and I were kind of resistant at first, but we decided to go, and she's the type of person, I love her, she is like, we're going to get there right when it opens, and we're going to stay all day. And Ben and I were like, oh, great, you know. But we ended up having an absolute blast. Like, by the end, I had purchased mouse ears with, like, oh, and they stitched kicks on the back. And they were very against that. They are very against that. I think I've told you this before. I have heard that story before. Yeah, because they were like, is that your name? And I had to say, yes, it's my name. You know, because I guess they don't, like, stitch things on on your hat that aren't real or whatever. Mm -hmm. But... We had an absolute blast, and I think I could convince Ben to going to Disney World at some point. Uh, and also, too, because we want to go to Universal. 
Yeah, we, uh, Jill and I went to Disney World, it was October of like 2011 or 2012, I think it was 2012, um, and we had an amazing time. That time of year especially is great because uh, it's, uh, it's as least crowded as it ever gets, so mm. it's still warm enough to like, we could, you know, we could swim and go to the pool and all that kind of stuff, and um, you know, but there were rides where we got off and they were like, do you want to go on again? Nice. because there was like no line so that is that really adds to the enjoyment but you know I'm, I'm a big fan of getting there like you know when they open the gate and um you know t especially in florida because it can be hot just like taking an afternoon break somewhere and chilling yeah, out for a while florida. and then going back and going as late as possible florida's now like it's just i don't know <laughs> but yeah, so I think, you know, hopefully these picks helped the listener. Uh, I think they were both good. And yeah, so before we sign off, don't forget, you can find a breakdown of the episodes on moviegenre.com, where you can also subscribe to our quarterly print movie zine. And our first issue of 2021 We'll celebrate and feature the use of color in film, so don't let the gray days of winter get you down. Get lost in the brilliant views of Movie John's winter issue. And that is available for pre-order now at moviejohn.com shop. We also are on social media at, and on Twitter at I Saw It In A Movie. And if you're seeking advice, send us your questions to dearisawitinamovie at gmail.com. There is also snail mail opportunities. If you want to send us a physical letter, you can send that to P.O. Box 20172, Philadelphia, PA 19145, Attention, Movie John. And Ryan, where can people find you? Uh, sure, uh, people can find me uh, on moviejohn.com as well as on Twitter and Letterboxd at SilverWhatever, that's with a B. Um, also recently appeared on the Depth Impact podcast, talking about the Lone Ranger uh, with Jenna, which is also part of the Movie John podcast network. So I want to make sure I plug that as well. Very cool. And you can find me on Instagram at the.oldsport or Twitter at bonjouroldsport. And also check out my other podcasts, uh, including Cinematic Crypt, in which I go six feet under to uncover films of Hollywood's past. And also my newest podcast, which is Best Friends Forever. And I co-host that with my film pal, Katie McBrown. And each episode, we invite you to our slumber party and gab about a flick that features our favorite heartthrob. And our first episode actually just aired well, when this will air, it will already be out there. Um, but you can download that at moviejohn.com under MJ Pods. And hopefully this time, Ryan will remember to play our teaser at the end of the episode. You knew I was going to, like, say that. I know. Um, but, yeah, you should really check out the first episode. We had a lot of fun working on it, and we can't wait to make more. The first episode features Skeet Ulrich in the 1997 flick Touch that probably no one has heard of. Uh, but yeah, it was a weird film. 
Yeah, I have not heard of that. I'm looking forward to listening to the episode, and uh, I would highly recommend, one, listening to the teaser that I will definitely put at the end of this episode, downloading the first episode of Best Friends Forever, and also pre-ordering your zine, because I just have a feeling this one's going to sell out really quickly, because this is the first one under the new movie, John. We have a ton of new people on board. I think there's probably going to be some great articles in there. I'm certainly looking forward to getting my hands on a copy. So I would recommend if you're interested, just go ahead and, and pre-order or get a year subscription and then you won't have to worry about it. And when Movie John shows up, you'll just be like, oh yes, more Movie John. Yeah, uh, I can tell you, you know, because Ben, my husband, is the managing editor of the zine. There is a lot of great content coming to this issue. So I'm very excited about it. Uh, and honestly, I mean, I know we make the zine and that sort of thing, but I really do feel like every issue just continues to get better and better. So yeah, I think the recommendation of getting a subscription is a very good one. So Ryan, do you have any advice from Fantasia? I do. Uh, so, you know, Mickey being the sorcerer's apprentice, um, you know, he takes his bot, his boss's magical hat and, you know, he casts a spell to bring the broomsticks to life because he doesn't want to do his chores. And I don't blame him. I think this is a really smart idea. Unfortunately, uh, he forgets the magic that undoes that charm. Uh, and so just a reminder that if you are going to fiddle around with magic, make sure you know the start and stop procedures. Yeah, I'm definitely learning that, you know, in watching Sabrina, The Chilling Adventures Mm. of Sabrina, because sometimes I feel she uses magic and doesn't think about the consequence of like, oh, now I just raised this demon from hell. Great. You know, so I, I like that advice. And my, my piece of advice for our listeners comes from Elvira. And she says, he can run, but he can't hide. And I think it's always good to remember that there is no hiding when it comes to being chased by a ghost. Because they're going to find you. And they can, like, go through walls and, like, doors. Nothing really keeps a ghost out. So just remember that. That is very true. Yeah. So until next time, listeners, remember, for every question, there is a movie with the answer. Goodbye. Bye-bye. The Wonderful World of Color is brought to you by RCA, the most trusted name in color TV. Do you want to have a sleepover? Time to grab your sleeping bag. You're invited to a slumber party. In February, the Best Friends Forever pod is coming to the Movie John Podcast Network. Each episode, join real-life BFFs, MJs, Rosalie Kicks, and Katie McBrown for a totally rad sleepover, and hear them gab and gossip about a flick featuring their favorite heartthrob of the month. Crawl into your jammies, grab your favorite snacks, Capri Sun, or an adult beverage, if that floats your boat, and get ready to P-A-R-T-Y. Coming this February, 
And as they say, if you snooze, you lose. TTYL, Slumberkins. (laughs) 